Hi, everybody. Welcome back. This is Jacqueline. And Alana. And welcome back to another episode of Black and Yellow. <laughs> there was a, was a long pause there. Oh. Hello. Hello, lovely listeners. Welcome back. Um, if you're new to the show, which we've been getting some new people, welcome. We're happy to have you with us today. And thank you so much for being here. And we hope that you stick around for a while. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back. We're happy to see you again or hear you sure again. Are. Have your ear with us again. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's just start out first and foremost. Happy Pride Month to yes. all of our LGBTQIA plus listeners. Uh, we know that COVID is a style and celebration cramper, but we hope that it doesn't stop the celebration too much. And there's a lot to celebrate because on Monday, as we know, or maybe some of us don't, and if you don't, let me fill you in, the Supreme Court ruled that the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits sex discrimination, protects gay and transgender Americans from workplace discrimination. Thus, extending essentially workplace protections to millions of people across our nation, which is a huge, massive, oh my God, worthy win for the LGBTQIA plus community and for equality. It's a massive win and we should be celebrating that. Yes. I also think it was, um, I don't know if people were expecting that ruling to happen as soon as it as soon as it did what does that mean yeah. i don't think people expected that ruling to happen on monday is what i i think i meant yeah to say. i think amidst everything that's going on too you know uh it, it was such a like a light that just like a bright light that beamed through everyone's uh, i hope most everyone's uh heart at least mine did i know yeah, for sure. It was definitely a um, a much needed uh, win. And I hate these because they're so cheesy, but silver linings with mm-hmm. all of the protests and all of the uprisings happening. I love that we are. Ha- it seems like every day we are encountering a new victory. Right. And I think that's yeah. super important. Absolutely. Um, I also just want to say, while protests are still very much alive and well, and they seem to be getting larger and continuing to push the needle forward for change. I just want to take a moment to remember something really important. So when we say Black Lives Matter, we're not just talking about the lives of Black cisgender individuals. We are also talking about the lives of Black queer people and Black trans individuals. And let it be known, there's a really direct thread between the fight for anti-racist legislation that Black people are fighting for and the fight for LGBTQ plus equality and rights. Um, And I think that that's a through line that we can't take lightly, especially during this time. Mm -hmm. Uh, As we know, the black queer community is no stranger to protests or riots or uprisings. And uh, the total commitment that it takes to continue to push forward for true change. And I know that... Um, have you seen this phrase, the first pride was a riot? I know it's been on social media. Have, Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Yeah, so I've been seeing it a lot on social media as of late. When I first saw this phrase, we're going to be talking about phrases a lot today, but when I first saw <laughs> the phrase, phrase day, exactly, I was like, huh, I didn't really. Yes, that makes sense. The first Pride was a riot. I guess I hadn't exactly put it in those terms before, but um, it was a great reminder 
And so I want to pass that along to that. you. Yeah, right? It's just so galvanizing and so powerful. And I just want to pass that along and put that in the ether. Let us not forget that uh, we need to also amplify Black queer voices and Black trans voices, specifically the voices of Black trans women yes, whose lives absolutely. are in constant threat constant every day. Danger. Ugh, we've got to yeah. amplify their voices, not just this month because it's Pride Month, but, but every day. all year round. Yeah. Exactly. Every yeah. day should be a day of celebration, a day of respect, a day of validation, a day of acknowledgement because mm-hmm. what they have gone through uh, and will go through is, is you know, it has, it has been really hard. Yeah. And let's be real. Like the work that black queer and black trans activists Ooh. do, it's not only is it vital, it's really fucking dangerous. It is. And I mean, you could at any moment, you know, you yeah. could be a victim of a hate crime or anything, really. Yeah. And and these black queer activists are continuing to do the work that essentially converges uh that essentially, um, I guess, exists at the intersection of race, gender, and sexual orientation. Can't get, can't get any more. Uh, Man. Uh, all the colors of the rainbow there. Yeah. I mean, literally. Yeah. And I know that we say it on this show all the time, but it's, it bears saying again, uh, intersectionality is really, really critically important. It is the sort of cha- intersectional change, uh, intersexual feminism, intersexual race relations, like these are all really important for for really getting true change. So let's value it this Pride Month and every day. Let's look out for our Black queer protesters. Let's not erase their voices. Let's not erase their experiences, not just this month, but every month. And let's make sure that when we're out and we're fighting and we're protesting, we are looking out for our Black trans women who are also out there protesting, putting their lives on the line. Let's make sure that they feel comfortable, that they remain safe. Let's just treat them the way that we want to be treated. I'm talking to you straights. Come on. Like, you know, sometimes we can be problematic, but let's sometimes let's not (laughs) (laughs) right let's 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 not because we are all in this together and Mm -hmm. if you were to treat them like any individual or if you can imagine this is going to be a recurring theme amongst most of our episodes has been a recurring theme but if you can imagine the path that they've walked then the words that are going to come out of your mouth are going to be a lot less kinder uh and a lot less a lot more compassionate Um, yeah I mean, a, a lot more kinder, not less kinder, geez, a lot more kinder and a lot more compassionate to, to, um, to, to them. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, as Brianna would say, pull up, like, you know, pe- yeah. people of all different races are pulling up for African-Americans during this time. We got to pull up for our black queer and black trans people during this time as well. Absolutely. So that is the official intro to the show before we get to today's topic uh jackie and i are gonna try a little experiment for the next maybe eight weeks two months just to see how it goes uh we're gonna introduce a little bit of a new segment it's called put your money where your mouth is Mm. let me explain it to you so Political activism is all around us, and it feels like more and more people are asking, how can we help? How can we keep this protest momentum going once the protests are over? I know that I got to get out and rock the vote, but what else can I do? Uh, I know it feels like the protests are never going to end. And let's be real, with the unemployment rate as high as it is, with 
people being out of work for as long as they have been, extra money to spend is not really in the cards right now. And people are hungry mm-hmm. for ways to stay connected and, and keep fighting for change. But eventually the protests will end. However, that doesn't mean that your everyday protesting has to stop. It can continue to keep going. And everyday protesting is the type of protesting that you do with your wallet, with your dollars, your Ooh, them dollar dollar bills. You. Oof, where your you choose money, to spend your money, that's protest. Your money counts. Where your money mm-hmm. goes is is where your vote goes. I'm telling your you. money counts. No pun intended. <laughs> we got jokes. <laughs> oh yes. Um, choosing to to shop at minority-owned businesses or female-owned businesses is a way to address racial and gender inequities long after protests have ended. So. Mm-hmm. For the next couple of weeks, uh, about eight weeks to, or, or two months, we are going to spotlight or highlight or mention a black owned business or an Asian owned business uh, at the top of the show that we love, that we support, or maybe that we just randomly came across. Maybe we were looking for something specific. I know I am in the the uh, market for a new ring light and i have heard of a black owned business a black owned ring light business so you better believe i'm checking them out uh but we want to help you guys stay um in the keep the protest momentum going by providing you guys with black owned businesses and asian owned businesses that you guys can support if you are looking to pivot maybe away from the big corporations and shop smaller more locally or more uh, minority or female owned correct so here goes here we go put your money where your mouth is where is your money going okay my money is going to so one books in lamert park right here in los angeles california so full disclosure my parents have been shopping at so one so one books has been around for 30 years my parents have been shopping there forever my parents got me hooked on so one books i continue to shop there is it sorry is it so one or fo one so so one so it's spelled e-s-o one word one w-o-n books uh, okay so one i see just for i'm sure i heard it a little differently so i just wanted to ask you to spell it out no no, no totally thank you and i'll also put this in the show notes if uh, if anyone wants to check them out further but but thank you for saying that because actually mm-hmm. i could understand how that's confusing um <laughs> So, yeah, so they're an independently owned black bookstore. They've been around for 30 years. They are at 4327 Degnan Boulevard. And I like to think of Essawan affectionately as the only bookstore that I will sit in an hour of traffic to get to in order to get the latest titles by black authors that Barnes and Noble don't even have. Like, that's how. Not surprised. uh, Right. Like that's how legit Essawan is for me. Um, I remember when Issa Rae's book came Mm -hmm. out, The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl. And there was a Borders by me at the time and a Barnes and Noble and neither one of them had it. And I think they were getting it in like a week after the release date. But good old Essawan and honestly, good old Issa Rae, who I know loves Los Angeles and loves specifically that part of Los Angeles. I have a feeling that Issa was like, 
hear us on take my book before any of these other people have it and yes i sat in traffic to get a copy of that book to then go to an audition for an african-american independent film and i had that book with me as i was like waiting for my audition and i remember bringing it in doing a great audition or at least an audition i was proud of and then very quickly having a, a talk with the director and the director was like hey how's that book i was like it's amazing. It's great. Like, it's great, great, great. And I ended up booking the role. And I firmly believe it's because I had the book. I had Issa's Ooh. book. <laughs> Maybe it had something to do with my talent. But I just think that, um, you know, Issa <laughs> Rae is the, is the magic that keeps everything going. But it was it was mostly Issa Rae and a little bit of you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but Essawan gets a lot of love and respect from some black authors that I know you've heard of Ta-Nehisi Coates you know the man who wrote Between the World and Me and The Water Dancer he talks about Essawan he says it's it's specific mission is to make sure black authors always have a home this is important to me not because it's the world that I spring from but it's never the river that I continue to drink from and Mm. I I love that that's so evocative and it's just so coats um, because he's right. Esawan has always been the place for black authors, whether are well-established or burgeoning authors. They've always had a home in Esawan. Um, very often, I feel like I would go to Barnes & Noble growing up and I'd be like, do you know where this list of books that were generally sort of esoteric black authors and getting confused looks from people behind the information desk like no I've never heard of that book or oh is that spelled right or how do you pronounce this name and just being like you know what I don't want to buy my black books in this white environment that seems very um out of touch with the reading needs of African Americans which is why I tend to go to SO1 um SO1 also has books by people of other races it's not a huge selection it's mainly African American books uh they also have great events so if you have authors that have books coming out that are African American that you like you can check out SO1's calendar I mean obviously COVID puts a cramp in this but pre-COVID and I'm sure once normal life gets back to normal they will they will uh, continue to have in-store events as well and their in-store events are always really well attended and awesome um yeah I can't say enough about SO on books it's brilliant you should go there's also an online shopping option you know if you're looking to sidestep Amazon and give your money to an independently owned bookstore uh check out SO on I will put SO on book information in the show notes but that's my business. That's where I put my money, where my mouth is. What about you, girl? Awesome. Well, we all know um, I'm a big foodie. I used to cook a lot. I still cook a lot. My mom's a chef. Um, I have transitioned into more of a plant-based diet. However, mm. I will always have a spot for, and who who doesn't, have a soft spot for authentic Chinese food. And so I really wanted to highlight this restaurant because let alone them being in Chinatown before I was even born, mm-hmm. um, before you were even born, they have been in business for over 41 years. Um, I am highlighting and putting my money literally where my mouth is, um, Yang Chow Restaurant. <sighs> 
I have some Yang Chow in my fridge right now. What? How yep. did I know? Mm-hmm. And Delicious. they are located at 819 North Broadway, Los Angeles. So they are officially open for takeout. And I also wanted to spotlight, especially the two worlds kind of coming crashing together, which is what we're going to talk about today with you folks as well, is, you know, how Chinatown, before even uh, coronavirus was officially a a virus in California, um, Mm -hmm. people were already starting to distance and disassociate and not go to um, Chinatown. Um, yeah, because of this fear of this so-called Chinese virus that Trump uh, created, right? So he doesn't have to take responsibility. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's difficult because before even everything got really, really bad, before the lockdown, before the quarantine, before the shutdown, these businesses were already hit super, super hard, hard. you know, and it's just so difficult for them to even, even, even like they, before they really got the official notice, you know, they were already losing business. And I can't even imagine what that's like. I mean, I am starting a food business with my family. And before you even, you know, are like able to to decide, okay, these are the steps we have to take. We know this is coming. You know, they're already being affected. And so um, they had to let go of over 20 workers, which must have been so difficult because I've been a server myself. And to be let go in a hard time with something that you go and you work for every day, a very physical type of work, mm-hmm. um, and then you're let go. And and I can't imagine those people, those Chinese, Cantonese um, um, servers Mandarin, or waiters, Sichuan. Mandarin, anything who, who actually – um, you know, worked at, at this job to really support their families. Um, and a lot of them aren't young. You know, a lot of them ha- are career servers. A lot of these people, a lot of these folks have worked as servers for their entire lives. And so they had to let go over 20 workers and only kept a crew of five. Um, so um, I really wanted to, to spotlight them because let alone them being such a history of downtown of, of Los Angeles, yeah. Chinatown, um, they they were opened its doors in 1977 in the heart of Chinatown. They were opened yep. a family of five brothers. So, again, a family business, which is like so dear to my heart, um, you know. They they have been the best of LA two to three times year in a row. Um, I think in 2013, 14, maybe 15 or 12, but I know at least 2013 and 2014. Um, and so I think we have to remember, especially because you and you and me are from Los Angeles, and so wherever you are in the world, I mean, if you're, we I know we have listeners in Australia and New York, mm-hmm. um wherever on the east coast wherever on the west coast or, or mid coast um <laughs> midwest uh wherever you are i don't know if I you like have the any coast you like the mid coast i just made that up <laughs> um i think it's important to remember that you know uh where you're sp- where you spend your money and especially with restaurants especially with family-owned businesses um it's so precious yeah. and it's so important to understand that um we are supporting something that has been around for longer than I've been alive. Um, so it, it's, it stands for something a lot bigger than myself. Um, and I don't think a lot of us realize the magnitude, you know, of that, yeah. that awesomeness of that, of that, um, that structure, that building, that restaurant, how much history, how many people have 
eaten and and left and came back and and you know local and and, and uh, communities that go there um and and it's really a part of their lives so if y'all are in the mood for some really delicious authentic mandarin and Sichuan cuisine head over there um for some yummy yummy takeout and um and enjoy some yummy food yeah can I actually piggyback onto what you just said um yeah of course so the rapper Lil Wayne when he was on tour with Drake when they played at the Hollywood Bowl at one point Wayne looked at Drake and said Drake there's hits and there's classics and when I think about the the hits versus classics in Los Angeles cuisine Yang Chow is a motherfucking classic. Mm. Like it's an institution with a capital I. It is delicious. Um, I'm so happy that you spotlighted them because you and I talk a lot about food off mic. And um, one of the restaurants that you and I love, and we also really love the chef, Eddie Huang, his bow spot in downtown is yeah. no longer there anymore. Mm. To anyone uh, in Los Angeles who is a who is a fan of Bauhaus or just loves Bau and lives in downtown or near downtown, um, that is a business that has shuttered. I don't know if it's because of coronavirus or not, but um, my boyfriend or sorry, fiance and I found ourselves in downtown this weekend. That's how Yang Chao ended up getting picked up and is now in our fridge. Um, we <laughs> wanted Bauhaus, saw that it was closed and got Yang Chao because, I mean, obviously, why would you not? Um, but in between going to those two restaurants, while we're on the topic of, of Asian-known restaurants, um, there's another restaurant that falls in between the now shuttered Bauhaus and Yang Chao that I think is also worth calling out because it's awesome. It's a Filipino food and it's a restaurant called Lhasa. And they are also doing uh, at home, they're doing a takeout that I think you can sort of, it's semi-homemade. I think you have to prepare a portion of it at home. They've also got full takeout to go. They've also got a really nice natural wine and beer selection, which they're sending home. I got a couple of Kava Mansi mimosa packs, which is essentially Kava and Kalamansi juice. And it's been We've been drinking calamansi juice in this house ever since. I think we're like calamansi addicts now. Um, but yeah, if you find yourself in in downtown, Yang Chow's great. Lhasa's great as well. S- support Asian restaurants. They're struggling right now. They need your dollars. They need your support. They need your love. They don't need any xenophobia whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. Um, so wanted to combine the best of the, the world right now and... Um, and you know uh let you guys know support support, yeah support get your read on and get your eat on Mm -hmm. okay so with that let's get into today's episode shall we yes so if you listen to our our episode last week with Yuna Yoon, we discussed a protest slogan that's, excuse me, that's been making a comeback uh, and it's been making its rounds around social media and around the protest circuit. It sort of pops its head up. In the past, it would pop its head up whenever an unarmed black man like Eric Garner would, would was killed. You'd see a little bit of it here and there. Now, because of all of the protests, it's really come back with the vengeance. And it's uh, really prominent now. And a few of us and a few of you have reached out to us to inquire about 
what it means and, and whether or not it's appropriate to use. And so today we're going to be discussing the phrase, yellow peril supports black power. This slogan is really resonating with yeah. Asian American youth, let's be real, who are feeling more and more politically active, more and more politically visible than ever before. Um, but it's also being met with some pushback from activists. And so some of these activists are are black, let's be honest. And so in true black and yellow fashion, we are going to unpack the slogan today. Mm-hmm. So with that said, let's take a little history lesson, shall we? Let's. So the slogan dates back to the 1960s and was created as a show of solidarity between Asian Americans and African Americans. But before we can uh, talk too much about what was happening in the 60s, we got to take it back. Like back, back. all <laughs> the way back to the 1800s. Just a couple thousand years. You know, no biggie. Just hop in your time machine and like, come with us for a second. So the term yellow peril originated in the 1800s when Chinese laborers were brought to the U.S. to replace emancipated black communities as a cheap source of labor. Chinese laborers made less than their white counterparts and also became victims of racist backlash from white workers who were afraid of their the perceived threat to their livelihood. So this fear led to the passage of the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which was the first law to restrict immigration based on race. So now we're going to hop back to the 60s when African when sorry when Asian Americans sought to reclaim the racist term and their histories. So specifically students of color at San Francisco State University and UC Berkeley formed a coalition called the Third World Liberation Front calling for campuses to reform calling for campus reform that included uh, establishing ethnic studies classes and protesting the Vietnam War. So there's generally a photo that goes along with the yellow peril supports black power slogan and i just want to quickly uh uh, describe it for you so you kind of understand the moment in history that was captured and who was captured in it so it's a black and white photo was taken in 1969 at an oakland california rally so the rally was in support of the black panther party co-founder and black revolutionary huey p newton newton had been arrested on charges of killing a police officer so depicted in the photo the there's a sign that's being held and the sign bears the slogan yellow peril supports black power and it's being held by japanese american activist richard aoki who joined the black panther party in its early stages and eventually became a field marshal and this made him the only asian american to hold a leadership role within the organization also Fun fact, he's also known as the person who supplied the Black Panther Party with guns from his own personal collection. (laughs) Richard Aoki. I know, from his own personal uh, collection so that they can use them um, on their patrols. So I've got a quote here from a Diane Fugino. She says, quote, at the very first Black Panther meeting, Richard was asked by Huey and Bobby Seal, those are the two founders and creators of the Black Panther Party, to speak about the histories of the Japanese American concentration camps, says Diane Fugino, who's an Asian American studies professor at UC Santa Barbara. 
and also the author of Aoki's biography, Samurai Among Panthers, Richard Aoki on race, resistance, and a paradoxical life. She goes on to say, the Panthers understood that racism against Japanese Americans and Asian Americans was linked to black liberation and that these communities were both oppressed by white supremacy, which makes sense, right? We both of our races understand other based discrimination and other based violence. But Mm -hmm. here's where the story gets a little dicey. So while Aoki had been praised as this symbol for unifying Asian Americans and African Americans in their fight against white supremacy, in 2012, three years after his death, documents had revealed had been revealed that he had been an FBI informant uh, and his task was to infiltrate the Black Panther Party. So you can cue eye rolls, side eyes, and deep irritated breathing here. That's why Ready? people and- have... I'm just saying, like, that's why people have strong feelings about uh, about the use of this phrase. Or at least it's one part. Yeah, um, no, no, definitely there is some controversy regarding the motives right and the reasoning and, and and then obviously the modern take on it today but go on i just wanted to put my little- no, no you're totally right uh quote it's easy to teach the celebratory narrative richard presents a challenge to how we think about what it means to be an activist fujino says the informant puts huge question marks on his work and takes away from his legacy so there's your history lesson in a sort of bite-sized and- chunk Yes, there is this wonderful article on NPR where it talks about Richard Aoki being interviewed. Um, I'm not going to get into it because we're not here to talk about this conspiracy theory. I (laughs) I will say, though, (laughs) it's possible we'll never know because he did take his own secrets to his own grave. That's gangster Um, in a whole different way. Yeah, and I don't know. I haven't. I've read a lot about him. I don't think I've read enough about him, but I can't imagine being... Asian or Japanese and and going through everything he went through. Oh my gosh, he went through so much. Um, yeah. But he did commit suicide in 2009. I so, did not know that. Yeah. So before shooting himself, he laid out two new, two neatly laid out. Geez, Aoki na- neatly laid out two sets of clothing. There we go. His Here freshly good. his freshly pressed army uniform and his black leather jacket, black trousers and beret, and his uniform as a black pants. So, um, yeah, I think it's all, is it a coincidence? Is it not a coincidence? Was it just, you know, easy to come up with, with stories to disregard him as an activist or, Ah. you know, was it, was it, was it a, did did this happen on purpose? So he could Mm. be, you know, not held up to this certain light that people do like to believe in, right? Because we all want to believe in something like that. Um, so yeah, that's just another like, you'll never know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think I encourage you guys to, if you're really curious, you know, go and dig. Um, I think that's always helpful. I know I did. Um, and then it's up to you. You know, you'll never know. Regardless, he is in history. Um, he had he was related, and and did a lot of things um, with the Black Panther. So, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, I also think it's worth mentioning that the Black Lives Matter movement 
is a very different movement at a very different time than the Black Panther Party movement Definitely. was. Definitely. Yes. We have to mention that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. We, we That has to be mentioned somewhere in this episode. <laughs> at one uh, point. <laughs> going forward. Right. Um. So let's talk about some of the pros and cons of of the, yeah. the phrase, shall we? Let's. So on his phrase, let's be real, it's catchy as hell. It's, it's I love it. I'm gonna bite. give I'm gonna give my opinion flat out out there for you all. I love it. Do it. That's if we're talking about the pros, it's a pro for me. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like one hundred percent. Like it's good to to text, to tweet, it's a great caption. It's a great like tell off as well. Like, yeah, yeah. It's very, very catchy. It's also sonically really pleasing. Like it's got some good musicality. It's got great structure to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The phrase also, it sounds really effective. Right. 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 Because it sounds it's like it like makes you kind of jolt up. It makes you question like what for for a lot of people, too. And I'm a ton of Asian Americans and Asians in general, because, again, I've talked about this a lot, but we don't we don't we're not taught about our own history. Right. No Mm -hmm. one is in 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 uh, in our history classes, which Mm. is not it's white history. Right. we, you know, what is a yellow peril, right? So I think the first thing to go and do is what and figure out what is yellow peril? Where did it come from? How did it originate? How, how does it exist still to this day? Right? Because so much I think of yellow peril, um, and, and how Asians have experienced racism and benefited from white supremacy. There's it's so there's so many muted colors in the sense of like there there's just so much that goes unnoticed and unsaid and so much that is also said and noticed but always heading in a different direction like we didn't even i feel like us as an asian community we weren't even sure what direction it was going in right mm-hmm. like it was just neither were white people for the record oh okay good to know um <laughs> But in a sense, I feel like a lot of times they did manipulate us to to their benefit, right? Like model minority myth. Of course. And and Asians and and black people have been pitted against each other. Um, The model minority myth was created to to diminish, right, Mm -hmm. Um, racism against black people that, well, well, if this – if this they could do it, why can't you guys? Right, they're excelling. What's wrong with you guys? Right. Um, and all of that, I think, it really is still some sort of yellow peril, right? Regardless if they they want us to succeed, but they, again, they want us to succeed in their terms. And if we start succeeding too much, or if we start succeeding too little, that goes right back to yellow peril, I believe. Um, yeah right i think also just to correct a quick thing that you said the model minority myth it wasn't meant to diminish racism against black americans it was meant to diminish um how hard it was for black americans to progress by pitting us against each other yes yeah like diminishing their experience as african americans or as a um as a group you know as a poc Right. Mm-hmm. Like it just diminishes their entire experience, because if one group can do it, why can't this other group? Right. And I think it's so problematic and dangerous and, and racist and scary. And um, and so this term, which is now sort of having like a resurgence um, based on what's happened um, 
you know, combining that with, with Corona, you're seeing like, I think a huge wave of, of anti-Asian sentiment in due to coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And then because of what happened with um, Amy Cooper and George, George Floyd and Michael Cooper, um, Michael Cooper, is that his name? Amy Cooper, and Michael Cooper, they have the same last name. Um, uh, let me make sure I'm correct. Um, you're seeing a huge wave of, of anti-black sentiment. Um, so I, I don't think, I, I think it, 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 it's almost the same coming at the same time. Christian, that's his name. Yeah, I also think it's worth mentioning that the system is not set up for white people or Asian people to be to to be able to easily see the the inequities. Do you know what I mean? Like the system is meant to be convoluted with lots of shades of gray to keep people trapped and essentially blinded from seeing the racial and systemic inequalities that exist and have existed for hundreds of years since the start of the founding of this country <laughs> right absolutely yeah um i think back to the 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 phrase um there's a excuse me i've got a lot of hiccups i shouldn't have drank so much coffee before this um cool. there's like a cause and effect feeling to this phrase that makes it feel like a complete action which I think is also something that people are picking up on. And I think also one of the biggest pros, similar to the way that black people use the N word, it takes a derogatory phrase and it turns it into a positive phrase Mm -hmm. that galvanizes people into action. Right. Right. I completely agree. Um, According to historian John W. Dower, quote, the vision of the menace from the East was always more racial rather than national. It derived not from concern with any one people or with any one country or people in particular, but from a vague and ominous sense of the vast, faceless, nameless yellow horde, the rising tide indeed of color, end quote. Just wanted to put that out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's powerful um for me the biggest pro out of this phrase personally um would be that ultimately in the end yellow peril supports black power is unifying right Mm -hmm. it gives you the sense of support togetherness oneness what i've gone through you've experienced we have shared history we have shared racism shared discrimination and and we're going to talk about the cons in a second but ultimately if it is towards a direction of unifying people to stand stronger firmer um in solidarity then then for me i am all for it even if it does shake some people up even if people people are going to always have opinions right we the show's all about certain opinions right. um <laughs> hello <No way. laughs> um so so yeah that's i mean that's where i stand is that if we are headed in a direction um where we can become stronger together then regardless of how some people may feel about it Asians and black people um I'm all for it so yeah I'll second you on that the the phrase does connote a sense of camaraderie that 
and again, as you said, yes, we'll talk about the cons in a second. But there is a camaraderie that lays that that I think we share in the sense of we both understand other based discrimination and other based uh, violence. And I think it is a thing that, as you said, unifies us. It does connect us and it does keep us fighting. Mm-hmm. And I think to be able to when you finally get through the the muck and mire that is white supremacy and you begin to start seeing seedlings of the truth, it's very hard to not see these bonds that are that our cultures share. Right. And it's hard to not want to rage against that machine that keeps separating us. So I am right. with you on that. The camaraderie, the unification really is powerful. And um, I think it's the thing that motivates us and keeps fighting. Right. Yeah. And I think it, it, the timing is, you know, it's too perfect because it's especially what we need now more than ever, what we've always needed, really. But in, mm-hmm. in, in light of everything happening, you know, it makes perfect sense why why people would want to stand behind something like this phrase right now, you know? Right. Um, yeah. So there, the divine timing of it is it, it's too good. Shall we talk about the cons? The cons, cons, cons. <laughs> okay. So, let's start let's start with the inclusivity. Not everyone feels like the term yellow peril is the most inclusive wording for everyone. Right. <laughs> Some people feel like we need to consider the fact that today there are a lot more Asian Americans who don't identify as yellow or as East or as East Asian. Um, so the term yellow peril in that sense isn't always the most inclusive. Mm-hmm. Take for that what you will. Um <laughs> There are also people that would say that Asian Americans have benefited from anti-blackness and anti-black sentiments. Yes. And so in using this phrase, some would say, well, we need to really take a look at how our privileges as Asian Americans have made anti-blackness possible and have kept pushing anti-black sentiments in our community forward. Right. How we've been the perpetrator perpetrator in this perpetual systemic racism uh, that we're living in. I'm just adding on to what you're saying. Yeah. No, you're good. Yeah. Um, Another con is that some people feel like it centers Asian Americans when the focus of the fight today should be on black Americans. Yes. Now, I have a lot of feelings about that statement. but I got lots I... of feelings about lots of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But before I, um, I de- delve into that, I think that a good example of, of this con in action is a very popular piece of art that is circulating around social media and the internet. That was actually uh, really, it was really controversial when it first came out. It was really controversial. We had a a listener reach out to us, DMing us, who has also done some art uh, around this phrase and she had gotten some pushback and she was like, I don't get it. Like what help me here. And she actually was a very big reason that we're doing this episode. But um, her name is Mon Yi Chow. I'm sorry. The, the artist that we're about to talk about is Mon Yi Chow. Mon Yi Chow did not reach out to us on uh, social media. <laughs> so to make that clear. Um, so Mani Chow, she's a Seattle-based Chinese and Taiwanese artist. And she's one of the artists who has really helped to catapult and repopularize the phrase Yellow Peril supports Black Power. And she designed a poster of the slogan 
And the image in the poster is, uh, it's a black and yellow yin-yang. And in the yellow part of the yin-yang, there is a black panther. And in the black part of the yin-yang, there is a yellow tiger. And the slogan exists underneath the um, this reimagined yin-yang. And full disclosure... <laughs> I got a couple of text messages from friends that listened to the show that saw that art and was like, is this your new logo? Like, did you guys change your logo to which I was like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. But I could understand the confusion kind of sort of, um, this image has garnered more than 50,000 likes on Instagram. And, um, Chow got a lot of pushback initially because for her, she formulated this image in response to the, quote, grief and anxiety that was felt after Floyd's death on uh, May 25th, but soon began to receive messages from people who disagreed with the use of the slogan. So this is what she has to say. Quote, because I knew the slogan was used to express support for the Black Power movement, my intent was to offer the same support, says Chow, who has since archived the original post and created a new image where she replaces the slogan with Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. She says, but I started having discussions with people who messaged me, and then I understood how the phrase centers Asian Asian Americans when this time isn't about us. End quote. So when I first heard this slogan and when I first began to see it, I actually didn't have the feeling that Asian Americans were trying to decentralize African Americans. Right. And were trying to recenter themselves. I didn't share that feeling. Yeah, I think it's interesting. To be perfectly honest, I was you you answered my question already, I was gonna ask you, but I didn't either. When I when I I think what it is is when I read that phrase, I read it I think as soon as um that whole everything about George Floyd started happening. And so for me, my focus, um to be perfectly honest, my focus has always been based on history and based on everything that's happened, my focus has always been more on what black people go through. Like I understand mm-hmm. what Asians have gone through, Asian Americans, everything in history, but because Africans Americans are still facing so much of that today, literally just, you know, weeks ago, every day, it's so much more bombarded in our face. It's so much more um, available on the news. Um, you, you know, we have Ahmaud Arbery, we have Brianna Taylor, we have um, Sandra Bland. We just have so many of these happening that for me, the forefront of my, I guess, activism in, and because of the show and because of you, you've really opened up this this whole part of me that, that to be honest, I wasn't really aware of. You know, I was definitely one of those um, Asian Americans who, who weren't as aware of what was really happening to African Americans on, on, on a much needed level of awareness, right? Because mm-hmm. I grew up in a bubble in St. Gabriel Valley. I grew up as a majority, as a majority, you know? And it was only until I started to really go out into the real world after um, – I experienced a little bit of in when I lived in Orange County, and I've talked about that with you guys before. If you haven't, just go listen to our old episodes. Um, <laughs> I and because mostly of what we talk about on the show and my relationship with you, when I read that phrase, I only thought about Black Power. I didn't actually really think about. I thought about for a second. I thought about like, oh yeah, like we've been through some shit as Chinese people, you know, as Asian people. But ultimately, 
what we've been through is only supposed to make us understand and support black people even more. You know, like we almost yeah. have a responsibility even more. And I almost felt like more than any other race just because of what we've been through. And that that's not like bad or good or like we're better or anything. That was just my perspective of like Vincent Chin went through my head. You know, the fact that we became the next, yeah. the next, you know, um, um, servants to come in right after black people. Like it was just like, and I talked about this on the last um, show, we guess we um, appeared on, on the Unwashed Comedy uh, Night Market mm-hmm. show about how we are just sort of like a step behind. And I don't mean that like that that's like uh, that I should be proud of or anything, but because of, of you can see how it's also how the systemic racism has affected Asians. Um, and so if, yeah. if we can understand our story a little more, then my golly, we can really, really, really stand behind black people. Um, so sorry, that was a bit of a tangent, but no, 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 actually, I think you, you, you hit a lot of what I was going to say, which is I never, when I, I think you and I are very lucky in the sense that we live with our black and yellow tinted glasses on oh, because yeah. of the work that we do. So right. when I first heard this phrase, it prompted me to do our, I guess the last post on Instagram, which is a picture of us, which is essentially like picture of us, like hugging from a photo shoot in 2017. I love that one. But that's very much how I feel about our fight. Like personally, the activism that you and I um, engage in by doing this show. But I feel like it's a lot of the activism that we're also experiencing around us. And I think a lot of it has to do with generation with our age and generationally, You know, in the past, Asian Americans have had very little, if not any, political visibility. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that has to do with stereotyping that again that exists against Asian people. I mentioned this also on Ed's show, but I'll mention it here. The stereotyping that exists between African Americans and Asian Americans, it's literally black and white. Literally. You know? Asian Americans are viewed as meek and studious and apolitical, a very dangerous stereotype that that as a as a culture, I think white supremacy has not allowed Asian Americans to shake that particular label. Mm-hmm. I think it's white supremacy that has functioned in such a way that has kept Asian Americans quiet and their struggles uh, to be implicit at best sort of like no 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 don't make waves you want to be in good with us right your problems aren't really big enough but you guys have it you can take care of it yourself you guys are fine don't speak up and that's dangerous oh huge that's that's incredibly dangerous because we all know in this country the squeaky wheel gets the grease but if no one even acknowledges that the squeaky wheel is squeaky is squeaky how can change even happen Right, right. And I feel like that's where Asian Americans have been for such a long time that I don't feel like this phrase is decentralizing blacks and recentralizing Asians. I really do feel like Asian Americans writ large in this country have found a voice, have found individual voices, but have also found one united voice and are really making it heard in an incredibly noble, very visceral, I have goosebumps just thinking about it, way. And I think that, I think to be so scathing as to tell Asian Americans to not use this phrase is to silence them and even more, (laughs) 
Yeah. Like, like, well, okay. Like I'm curious. I want to have a voice. Like, uh, Let's allow Asian American activists to use their voice because they are fighting right along with us. Yeah, right. I, I, everything you said makes perfect sense to me, and I just like I love I love thinking about different perspectives about this. So if I let's say I'm not me, right? Let's say I'm just mm-hmm. I am the person, and I want to throw this to you after. If I'm the person who who is Asian and read this thought or read this phrase and thought instantly, you thought about myself. Right, because mm-hmm. when I when I read this phrase, I thought about the other. Like, one hundred percent, we support you. I support you. I will always want to support you. I'm here now, and if I wasn't before, I'm sorry. Here I am. What can I do? How can I be of service? Right? Yeah. And so I think I'm curious as to either those, and and I would what I would pose this question to you as an as as an African American, but as an Asian, if I were to think like oh, no, 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 like, then then you're making, you know, um, us equal to black people, and you're diminishing their experience um, uh, as, 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 a, as, a, as a whole, right, what they've gone through, like, mm-hmm. I'm curious if these Asians either feel guilty, right, for being able to assimilate into white culture, um, benefiting from white supremacy, um, uh, on and on and on and and are not either ready or able to comprehend what it would really mean like and look like to stand in solidarity and to support black power like the fact that if someone hears that and like as an asian is maybe either afraid come Mm -hmm. from coming from a place of fear or or threatened or whatever that fear again um may be like that's what i'm curious in sometimes, you know, as like, how did you read this and think about yourself? Like, hmm. like highlighting our history and, and therefore then again, in that way, are you, you also in a way diminishing yourself? Cause like, Oh no, no. Like I don't want to be bigger than, than, than what they've gone through. We, mm-hmm. we haven't gone through nearly as much as what they've gone through, which is true, but let's not talk about it. Like, let's not, let's not highlight that as well. Like, I don't understand why it has to be like yellow or black or whatever it may be. Like the, the reason why I find this phrase so powerful is that it does highlight both people, both mm-hmm. groups of people. And that's what makes it so powerful. And that by doing so allows black people to even become more powerful, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that was like a, a, a huge whirlwind of, of just me entertaining what it would be like to, to hear this phrase and think of it as a con. Well, I think that we have to remember in this country, we need no setup for race relations between black and white people. They are quite literally that black right. and white. We, we, we don't need that setup. It, however, setup for white relations with Asian Americans is a lot more convoluted and a lot more difficult to set up. So many layers. Yeah, it's a lot more layered and a lot more nuanced. But the the con that you just spoke about is essentially the con that a lot of people are feeling, which is you can't put black struggle and Asian struggle on an equal footing. It's it's a different struggle. Yeah, that's what so they're which, seeing it as. Right, exactly. To which, yes, it is a different struggle, but we're not playing oppression Olympics here either. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Right, I like like that. (laughs) Struggle and and systemic discrimination and other-based violence, it's all a fucking struggle. Yeah, everyone's suffering. 
Yeah, I think that there's a, a very common belief that right now we need to center black freedom and black liberation, because if we can center black freedom and black liberation for African-Americans, that means that other races will be will be able to be closer to liberation and freedom in uh, yeah. their own uh, political and personal senses, if you will. Um, I think that's what a lot of people think what it means to be in solidarity right now. Mm, right. It could mean a lot of different things for a lot of different people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's, you know, a lot easier said than done because right. if you are Asian American, the struggle that you know, or just really any minority, the struggle that you know is the only struggle that you're familiar with. Right. Because that's you know your experience. I mean? Yeah. And so that's the the struggle that you're going to be fighting against. Mm. I can understand why people think this is a con, but I don't agree. I don't mm -hmm. think that Asian Americans are putting their struggle on the same playing fields and equalizing their struggles with black Americans. I think that Asian Americans are doing the very human and natural thing, which is these are the struggles that we are familiar with. This mm -hmm. is what we've been fighting against. Right. How can we help? Right. And right, I right. think in the research for this show, when I read some of the black activists sort of feedback on this, I'm trying to figure out a, a, a good way to say this. <laughs> there are certain activists that are single issue activists, mm. but we do not live in a single issue world. Mm. We don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, we can't yeah. just focus no on black struggle without acknowledging Asian American struggle, without acknowledging right. LTB, LGBTQIA right. and Latino struggles. It just right. doesn't work that way. Right. Um, so I, I feel like this con for me feels very single issue. And I mm. think that in order to get real effective change and real solidarity, we've got to We can't just see things as a, a single issue right. problem. Yeah. We've got to see all of the other issues that right. if, if we have a, an issue, that's a river, so to speak, a river has many outlets and many ways to flow. It's not just one way of flowing. It's a lot of smaller ways that sort of converge into that one big body of water. Mm -hmm. And I think if we're really pushing ahead for true change, we've got to take all of those other inlets and outlets and flows into account. Right, right, right. That's a, that's a wonderful analogy. I agree. I think it's, it is that, that way of really embracing it all and being able to really step, step into that place and, and make change um, in many ways. Yeah, definitely. I think that you and I off mic had a, a, a of longer conversation about this con because we were like wait hold on how do we articulate this in a way that we're not trying to seem disrespectful but how, like you know i could yes someone could see this as a con but also there's a this was this was a tough con to discuss full disclosure just to everyone listening mm -hmm. this was a tough one because i think that jack and i in a way didn't really agree but also have to call ourselves and be like okay girl hold on let's let's take off the black and yellow tinted glasses <laughs> because this is the world that we very much live and function in this is the the nation that we are uh, in in <laughs> and very large supporters of so i think that Another part of understanding this con is also having to, at least for, for me, having to step outside of this work, uh, which was incredibly difficult to do. Right. To, yeah. to, under, to really fully understand this con. Right. Right. 
Um, Ooh, that was a very long explanation. Yeah, for that last I, one. I agree. Um, I think this kind of brings us into our, you know, call to action because this would be my segment of like piggybacking off of you, you know, um, where, where do we go from here? And I think I've spoken this about, um, about myself, but I, I, I hope I can speak for other Asian Americans. And we've mentioned before how this term yellow peril doesn't feel, some Asian Americans don't relate because they don't feel like they have experienced yellow peril or they don't feel like they're, they're very um, close to the history or maybe, you know, whatever it may mm-hmm. be that they don't, they don't associate with yellow peril. And from my, my call to action, based off of what you just said, which is, which is what I also had to do when we were having that sort of difficult, um, tense, uh, you know, um, having to kind of face ourselves in, in those moments. Was, I had to really look at myself um, and, and my mindset and how I've, I've grown up with um, racism in my house, whether I knew it or not. Um, I mean, racism against black people, right? Um, whether I internalized it or not, whether or not I knew it or not, um, you know, especially it's, it's, there's, it's so dynamic when it comes to Asian Americans, especially with the immigrate, um, immigration um, um, fact that we have to deal with. That there's a huge gap between modern day and immigrant mentality. I'm fusing that gap. And a lot of Asians are still affected by their parents, what their parents think, what their parents say, right? Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to talk about that with our parents nowadays. Um, it's very mm-hmm. taboo. Um, we're also dealing with this idea that when, I don't know, when you think Asian American, what do you think? Chinese, Japanese, Korean. Most people maybe do, maybe don't. But the fact that we're not a monolith, the fact that we have over 50 different types of ethnicities, 50 to 100 or 100 different types of languages even spoken within this group called Asian Americans, it's it, there's so much that's going on there. And I think as Asian Americans, we have to really look at ourselves, educate ourselves, understand what we've gone through, regardless if you weren't Chinese, you know, and you didn't, mm. you weren't affected by the Chinese Exclusion Ooh, Act. Interesting. You know, like I, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm blessed, but I can relate to the Chinese Exclusion Act because I am Chinese. But let's say you are Cambodian and you don't relate to the Chinese Exclusion Act. You don't feel like you were a victim of white propaganda, right? But then, so, mm-hmm. so where, do, where can you relate? Is what I'm saying. You know, I'm sure when your parents came here from Cambodia. People thought they were Chinese because apparently we all look alike, right? So, like, for me, it's like finding certain pockets or moments or history where you can really understand your history, educate yourself, inform yourself, and then dive into the other side. You know, really do educate and learn about what happened with African-Americans. That is the only way you will start to understand, at least for me, I started to really understand what it was like to be in their shoes, you know, and I'm so grateful I have you by my side to really have those experiences as a modern day woman, right? I love you. To to kind of understand, like you've told me so many stories where I've just been shocked. Like I've been like shaken to my core that like, 
I can't even imagine what that must have been like. But knowing you and seeing you in front of me has allowed me to hold compassion, hold space for you and and really step into your shoes. And of course, seeing you like seeing you tell me stories and watching your eyes tear up or you get angry and in frustration, like or just be sad or whatever it may be, like has really touched me and has allowed me to really step into those shoes, like literally, you know? Um, So my call to action really would really be that would be, you know, take moments to just, to just learn, learn about the other person, learn where we all come into the same, same space and, and, and have shared history because when we do have shared history, um, then we can understand each other and then we can fight for each other. And then it doesn't become about color um, anymore in that sense of like, you know, yellow and black. Um, mm-hmm. That was a lot. I know I kind of went on this. I've been going on a no, lot of but tangents. It was, really, it was really, really beautiful. And got, it was really prophetic. I got teary eyed. <laughs> I did too. <laughs> I did too. Um, I, okay. I will say this. First things first. I love hosting the show with you. I feel like every time we sit down to do a new episode, I feel like our understanding of each other and of each other's unique racial groups really just deepens. Right. I think your your call to action is educate. Right. My oh, call to 100%. action is going to be remember. Mm. Remember that we as African Americans and as Asian Americans, we are fighting the same evil. That is the evil of white supremacy. That is the evil of white supremacy not acknowledging our racial groups' unique mm. humanities. Mm. Never lose sight of that. Yeah. Um, I can't. And it's subtle. Like, guys, incredibly. Just, just to be honest with you, it's it's subtle and extreme in so many layers and colors. You don't even know until you know. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you don't even know what's been happening, what's been going on. It could be just like walk, like crossing the street or it could just be mm-hmm. like walking into a store. There's so many of these things that happen every day that either we are blind to, we've never noticed, no one's ever told us, we've never been seen, we've never been shown, we've never been supported. And then it like either hit us in the face, like what's been happening now, or we can start yeah. to kind of step back and observe and be like, wait a minute, why did, why did they treat me like this or treat them like that? Or why did he look at me like this and not you know it just be have that inquisitive mind too i think is really important yeah and aha moments are addictive once <laughs> you have one you they're like potato chips or m&ms you want to keep having give me more moments like you never want to stop mm-hmm. um i cannot sit here and say and nor will i sit here and say do not use this phrase and here's why asian americans have found their voices. They are loud. They are proud. Mm. They are politically get engaged. They are incredibly active and they ain't going anywhere. <laughs> and so I, I hesitate to say to, to, to tell anyone to not use a phrase like this when really the important outcome for me of this entire episode and, and and really diving into this phrase is that Asian voices need to continue to be amplified, not silenced. They have been silenced for far too long. Oh yeah. If and we've, phrase... and we've silenced it ourselves, whether we know it or not, you know, it's been a little bit, a bit of both. So yeah, oh, well, yeah. for sure. Yeah. But I'm not going to blame Asian Americans. I'm going to blame white supremacy. It's just like so much easier. <laughs> <laughs> 
You are so honest. That's, that's what I love about this show. I'm just saying, like, we're building a black honesty. and yellow nation over here. Like, so uh, 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 uh. <laughs> I, I refuse to put that on Asian Americans. I say continue to lift voices. Remember that we're fighting against the exact same evil and continue to raise your voice. If this Beautiful. phrase makes you feel galvanized, then use it. If this phrase makes you feel galvanized and you feel nervous about using it publicly, then don't use the exact phrase, but raise your voice in other ways. Yeah. I think that right now, Asian Americans are so visible, so politically active and have so much power. It is, oh my God, it's so overdue. And now that you yeah, have right. it, run with it. Mm. This is how black Americans who have been protesting, who have been fighting for their rights. This is how LGBTQ people who have been protesting and fighting for their rights. This is that sort of feeling of we can spark change. We can fight hard enough. We're not going anywhere. We're not shutting up. We can make change happen. Yeah. I love that Asian Americans have been bitten by that bug. I am so happy for everyone who's feeling engaged and wow. i say keep the engagement going keep the voices lifted keep fighting and let's stay united oh, you couldn't have said it any better you added the cherry on top of the cherry woo, woo. <laughs> okay so that's our show but before we get going um one thing i want to say if you dear listeners or dear listener if you are an owner of a black owned business. If you are a, a black business owner or an Asian American <laughs> business owner, that's a way better way of putting it. Um, and you want to be featured in our put your money where your mouth is segment, reach out to us on Instagram, black and yellow podcast, or you can email us at podcast, black and yellow at gmail.com. Reach out to us. Let us know what business you have. We would love to let our other listeners know so that we can really keep building this nation together uh it's critically important we want you guys to support we want to support you guys as well as we want you guys to support us so let's make this a partnership let's work together to build a blacker and yellower nation Ooh, shall we black and yellow, uh, and yellow. <laughs> um this episode was produced by christian humes over at zeitheist we are the black and yellow podcast uh just gave the instagram handle but i will give it one more time we are on instagram at black and yellow podcast or i am jacqueline chung young on the gram um you can also find us on apple Podcasts and spotify and alana you are i am at renegade of fun and while you are checking us out on spotify or apple itunes don't forget to subscribe also leave us a great rate and review of the show it really helps to propel this little show of ours forward and if you know anyone who would be interested in this content tell a friend let's yeah. keep sharing let's keep growing right yep let's stand together and let's keep fighting the same fight yeah happy pride guys we'll be back next week bye guys see you bye. We'll hear you soon